This episode of ArcaSpeak is brought to you by Arcat. What's the one thing we all do in our practice? Search the internet for content, right? Well, we wanted to let you know about Arcat.com. Arcat is an online resource devoted to bringing content to the building professional. They have huge libraries you can access, and they don't hit you up for subscriptions. There are no fees, and they won't make you register to download content. We've all been there. You finally find the right file, and you get blocked with a registration pop-up, and you think, Thanks for wasting my time. I'll find it somewhere else. RCAT's BIM library is really second to none and available in just about any format you need. In fact, their entire BIM library is formatted to the last five versions of Revit. Their CAD detail library has thousands of CAD details, and if you need specs, the RCAT library is the most consistent library you'll find. Every single spec is written in the CSI three-part format. There's so much more on their site, including catalogs, videos, and a spec wizard. Go to rcat.com or download their app to check it out. It's a great free resource, and you don't have to register to use. Check it out today at rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com, and don't forget to provide feedback on their site. There's a button on the right-hand side of every page. Have a suggestion to make RCAT better? Click the feedback button and let them know, and tell them that ArcaSpeak sent you. Thanks, Arcat, for sponsoring this episode of Arcaspeak. We're also sponsored by HMC Architects. Let's give them a listen. Imagine a world where you can explore buildings around the globe, including ones that don't yet exist. A world where you can walk the edges of an under-construction high school in Los Angeles, then toggle over to the emergency department of a new hospital in China. Hi, I'm Chris Grant, Creative Director at HMC Architects. We're using virtual reality as a design tool that allows us to explore architecture in an immersive way from within. From this vantage point, we can experience a project as it was built years in advance, improving collaboration and appreciating the full scale of architecture. In VR, our clients can step inside their project and feel as though they can sit on furniture or reach out and grab a handle. This allows them to react to design decisions as if they were there, driving new questions and decision-making opportunities from within the virtual space. At HMC Architects, we believe that operating as a tech company will not only benefit our clients, but also shape our world and rich people's lives. To learn more or become part of our story, visit hmcarchitects.com. Welcome to ArcaSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 119 of the ArcaSpeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. This episode, uh, we left off on the last one on 118 with the cliffhanger episode, as we call it, around these parts, where Cormac was just leaving for a family trip to Bear Run, Pennsylvania, see Falling Water. And so this one, we wanted to pick it right up, and uh, Cormac's back. He made it back alive, the whole family. And so let's hear hear about your guys' experience. And I'm actually kind of interested in, I know you've been there before, but it was the first time for your family, right? Yeah, yeah. So so I bet that it's kind of fun to, to see how other people experience it kind of through their eyes and, and maybe, maybe some different stories that you have based on their first visit. Sure. Um, so ever since we moved to Maryland, 
to the DC area, we're really kind of day trippers. And this is just one of those many kind of, I don't know if I said it on our last episode, you know, my wife texted me and she goes, I think I want to go to Falling Water this weekend. Mm -hmm. And so I text her back and our tour starts at 345. <laughs> <laughs> so it, so it took a lot even, of convincing for Yeah, it really didn't go. take any convincing at all. And I was just like, I'm game. And then, and then she takes me back. Isn't it kind of expensive? And I'm like, too late now. Too late. <laughs> Isn't it kind of far? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it kind of far? Isn't it kind of expensive? <laughs> um, the cool thing is, is it's, it's exactly three hour drive into the mountains, into the, the foothills of the Appalachians, driving across the panhandle of, I, I don't really know if it's called the panhandle, but like the little skinny part of Maryland that is squeezed in between Virginia, West Virginia on up into Pennsylvania. There's this like little sliver Maryland that borders it all. And so you're driving along that little, you go across the Cumberland gap and then you kind of like just dog leg North and then drive through the, the mountains and boom, you're in uh, bear run. And it's so cool because it's in this little area that kind of boomed into a whitewater rafting touristy spot awesome so it, it's kind of interesting because it's popped up and it's now like you know you've got these big huge billboards that say you know rafting adventures blah 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 falling water you know <laughs> so it, it, it has it's even like advertised so it, it it's not kind of like one of those little kind of oh look you turn there and yeah there's some weird little house over there and stuff like that no it actually is it's it's pretty well advertised the locals take a lot of pride in you, you know so, you've made it when you're when your building's on a billboard Exactly. Exactly. Again, didn't really think about it. She just said, Hey, let's go. And we went. And so when we got there, like I said, you know, we were, we've been day trippers and, and as time has gone, they've gotten to this point where our kids are, um, are we going to see something historical? Great. Are we going to do something architectural? Great. <laughs> and so, you know, it's kind of leery that, okay, let's see, you know, I just, paid for a trip for all three of my kids to go see a building. But I always try to figure out a way if I'm going to go and see something that's a little bit more selfish for me, I'm going to figure out a way to make something really fun for them. And, you know, we did a little bit of hiking around the area. They've got trails and tours and stuff like that, that you can take through countryside on the Kaufman property. And, um, you know, so we do that because we love hiking. Mm -hmm got ready for our tour. It was kind of fun because just out of the blue, my my oldest son was telling me, he's like, yeah, I've been reading a lot about Frank Lloyd Wright at the library. I'm like, Is why? it because of the 150? No, he's just, I mean, just he didn't even, he's just into it. And, That's uh, cool. He, was, he started telling me about how uh, egotistical and megalomaniac Frank Lloyd Wright was. I'm like, yeah, he kind of was. He goes, well, how does that make you feel? He was so he's like quizzing me. Well, how does that make you feel about architects giving you bad names? And I'm like, I don't really think he gave us a bad name. I think yeah, right. he gave a profession. It's like he really kind of put a spotlight on our profession that most of the time goes a little bit unheralded. He goes, well, that makes sense. So we get there, and almost immediately, my wife turns around, takes a look at me, and because we've gone to a couple of the. Uh, local houses that Frank Lloyd Wright's done around here. We've also been up to 
Oak Park in, in Chicago. And so she's seen a lot of Frank Lloyd Wright buildings and stuff. And she, she has a, a huge appreciation for them. And what's funny is that when she first met me, I used to always say Frank Lloyd wrong. And cause you, you, always, you always get, you always get tired. Um, I don't know about you Go guys. Go your but, phases. Yeah. Well, you, we kind of get tired of it. It's just like, you know, hey, um, what are you going to school for? Architecture. Oh, you want to be the next Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> That's very no, true. No, I don't want to be the next Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, I want to be the next me or the next, you know, I want to be the next Evan Troxel. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I kind of had this, like, love-hate relationship. I, I appreciated his work, but I never admitted it out loud. And then slowly but surely, I started to admit, I'm like, damn, this guy's good. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and so, you know, there's a, a local house in Virginia, the Pope Leahy house. And uh, we went there and it's one of his Usonian houses. And she like absolutely loved it through knowing me. And she's gained this appreciation for mid-century modern. And even though his is like pre-mid-century modern, it still has that flavor that she really likes. You know, it's warm tones, very, you know, clean lines and things like that. And so she's... Always using Pope Leahy house. She's like, I want something like that. You know, something very comfortable, something kind of nice, something kind of that, that fits into the landscape and just feels right. And so that was kind of like the, the standard of, of what her little dream home is whenever I provide her with that dream home. Uh-huh. And, um, and so as we're like walking through the, the gravel path and we're walking down, you can, he- you can hear the falls. So, you know, you're getting a little bit closer. And, and as we like turn around the corner and you can start to see it all terracing into the landscape, she immediately turns around with, without even skipping a beat and anything else. She goes, there's my new dream standard. <laughs> and no I'm pressure. Like, it. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, well, um, <laughs> So it was, it was great though, because like almost immediately all of the kids reactions were almost as equally like, wow, that's cool. You know, I didn't know that they could build a house over the water like this. And, and it was, it was, it was kind of fun to see them react in a very positive way to a piece of old architecture. It doesn't feel old, especially it doesn't even look old because we still don't build that way. You know, the day to day, um, house really does not look like that. And so, you know, we, we met up with our tour guide and, um, here's, here's where it, uh, here, here's where my kids gained a little bit more appreciation for their father is so as we're going through the, uh, the tour and this guy's, you know, telling, you know, his very scripted tour and he was a, he, he did a great job, but he kept leaving, you know, he kept telling a story and he would stop. I guess that was, you know, the next page, you know, turn the page in your script and go on to the next room. And people kept, wait, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about this? And he wouldn't. So I did. Playing hard. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just like, you know, they were really kind of interested in some of these, like, well, why didn't, you know, why did he design all of the furniture? Why didn't he let the homeowners have their own furniture? And mess up his masterpiece? Exactly. And, and so, you know, he never really, you know, the, the tour guide never really filled in those stories, the blanks on some of the questions that they had. And so I, I kind of let it, you know, keep going and keep going. And then, you know, we got to a point and when we were out on the terraces, you know, my wife was getting really nervous about how low these terraces are because their six foot three son walks up to one of them 
and the what would be it's not quite a guardrail not even quite a handrail height is at his knee uh you know she's just like you, can you back up a little bit I, I, i'm a little nervous because i mean they are really low so he uh the the tour guide was just like can anybody tell me why uh why they're so low and of course me being me i was just like because he could get away with it yeah. he didn't have modern building coats that told him that the uh guardrails have to be 42 inches and he's just like kind of stunned for a second <laughs> and he's like well no it was because and then of course i muttered under my breath to my wife as he said well it's because you know as you're laying down in bed and you can look across without getting up and you can just look straight across into nature i'm like yeah yeah that's nice and all but seriously he didn't have modern building codes he wouldn't have been able to do this <laughs> wouldn't Sorry. be able he to would, today yeah no <laughs> exactly but um i think that is always my, kind of a shock when you see something in uh you know an, an old old building and it's like why isn't that current right but because yeah it doesn't have to be right Oh, it doesn't have to be. And, and, yeah. and thank goodness it doesn't. And thank goodness they don't have to, like, update it and put, you know, I'm sure they could put, like, glass handrails up so that it could still kind of keep that that feeling. But I'll, I'll put a picture of a guy. I, I took a picture when I was walking down on the paths below the, the house and um, took a shot up. And there was a guy standing right next to it. And you could see, you know, his kneecaps above the, the line of yeah the railing or or whatever it's not even railing it's like it's, a curb. Know, it's just yeah it's the curb <laughs> tall curb and you can just see him there and my wife we were like flipping through the pictures and my wife looked at me and said oh that just makes me nervous even looking at that oh geez yeah. <laughs> um, you know so send so rock probably, climbing with me yeah so the 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 one thing though it's kind of inherent to almost every one of us when we start walking through a building, it doesn't matter if it's the greatest masterpiece. I mean, I've done this to Caltrava. I've done this to Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, I've done this to myself. Um, but when you're walking through a building and you just start to see like these little problems here and there or some sacrifices or some things that just are really out of place, of course, I'm just going to sit there and, and kind of somewhat mutter under my breath only audible enough for my wife to hear me kind was like, Oh, I, I wouldn't have done that because I mean, look at, look at how all of the concrete spalling and, and did, did this or that or something like that. And just, you know, now I'm starting to think, I was like, okay, well to keep, you know, to keep the uh, concrete so thin, what he should have done is um, used epoxy coated uh, rebar. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like trying to solve all of the problems that falling water has um you know structurally with modern technology with modern, yeah. right and i'm just like oh if he would have just had this or oh if he would have just had that or or you know i mean look at this look how you see how this is kind of doing that you know it's because you know because you, you can like look and see all the cantilevered concrete cantilevers and all of them you know have just a slight droop to them yeah. and um and, and you know i'm and of course, but what year in my, is it? My, I'm, my, my, it was 1934. Yeah. It was just, I was just, and, and that it's was like saying if that, Jimi Hendrix had a uh, modern technology, you yeah. know, but the, the, the great thing about it was, is that I was the, I, I stopped myself finally to just really appreciate the to place be there. Yeah. And then, 
you know, and all I kept doing is coming back and saying, this is 1934. We don't build yeah, like this amazing. now. We don't design like this now. And it, it's just amazing that he had that kind of vision. And he was in his 60s mm-hmm. when he did this. And he had that kind of vision to create this. This is kind of, what is it? Was this is around like his, um, was it in his like third iteration of himself? You know, he had all of his prairie style, then Usonians, and then, you know, this. And then later on, he went out west and did all of that stuff. I mean, you know, it's just like all these different like iterations of Frank, the Frank Lloyd Wright style. And this being kind of like, you know, kind of mid late career. And it's, it was just amazing what he did. I, I don't know the validity of this particular story or not. I was doing a little bit of research beforehand and just reading up on it. And I've read the story before, but this was one of those kind of classic cases. And it was kind of interesting because I liken it to another masterpiece. And that was Dali's, the, everybody calls it the melting clocks, but it was the persistence of memory is the name of the, the painting. I saw that. And, and, the story went, you know, because I used to work at the Dolly Museum in St. Pete, and the story goes is that he was commissioned to do this painting, and he had been procrastinating, procrastinating, and the the guy who basically was kind of like his patron had come to Spain to kind of see the progress of his painting and started it. But it was a five-hour drive from the airport to Dolly's studio, and in that time he basically started painting out the, you know, his painting, which became kind of this quintessential painting that everybody likens Dolly to as these melting clocks. And Mm -hmm. he did it all within like five hours. Um, The paint was still wet when the guy came to come look at his, uh, his, um, his masterwork. And what's amazing about it is how small it really is. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's less than eight and a half by 11. It's, it's a small little painting, but it's, but that was the story behind falling water is that, you know, from what I was reading is that he had taken the commission. I, I, I'm assuming was paid or at least paid some somewhat and he had procrastinated for nine months. And so the guy called, you know, Kaufman calls him up and says, I'd like to come and see the progress on my house basically the drive from Pittsburgh where, you know, the Kaufman's lived to Frank Lloyd Wright's studio, probably 10 hours or whatever it was. So from what I read is that he hung up the phone and frantically went into the studio and started drawing. Mm-hmm. And that one rendering that we see of falling water, assuming color pencils or whatever it was, that was all done within that short time of hanging up the phone and the guy walking in the door saying, okay, show me what you got. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's almost like we could probably, um, have a, uh, have a talk about, you know, like how procrastination aids in the architectural swift kick in the rear or the creative process and how uh, procrastination fits into it. But that'll be for later. Yeah. Well, we have talked about how the subconscious kind of chews on stuff for a long time. Yeah. You know, and and to me, that's the only way I could explain it is that that's what happened, right? He he had been thinking about it and churning on it for a very long time, and that phone call kicked him into gear to actually put it on paper. But he had yeah. already figured it a lot of it out. So it's a it's a great story. 
Yeah. So. so, so how did your, how did your, what did your kids think? I mean, when you guys were sitting on a three hour car ride home, I mean, what, what were the kind of the topics that came up? Can you give me the plug? My phone's almost dead. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, so not, not falling water. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, you know, we, we went to dinner afterwards cause we did the late tour and then we just kind of hung out there till around six o'clock is when the grounds close. And, you know, you can kind of hang out there and go and take photographs and all of that other stuff. So it wasn't quite the Twilight tour. It was just they closed that part down. And then later, mm-hmm. you you know, you can do the little Twilight tour where you get the, like, really dramatic shots of the lights on and, and all of that other stuff. But, but so, you know, we kind of, like, hung out there. And, you know, me and my sons, we walked around uh, talking about it. Kind of like opinions. Most of it was just like, you know, God, I wish we could have a house like this. Mm. That was mostly <laughs> the things is everybody just wanted, you know, I guess we, you know, really, dad, can you build us a house like this? I bet mm-hmm. you can do a house like this. And then of course, you know, everyone's great. was like, I bet you can do a better house than this. And like, oh, that's so nice. Of <laughs> that's you. very sweet of them. You're full of it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people have like said, I could do a better house than this. Mm-hmm. Well, did I you mean, hear anybody saying like, "Oh, I could never, I could never live in something like this"? Um, honestly, yeah, yeah. There, there were a couple of people who were, they were enamored with how amazing it was, but, but it wasn't. They for did, them. but it wasn't for them. Yeah. So this had to have been like a bucket list. He was like, "Oh well, you know, we're we're here, and you know, we got to see this, you know, great piece of architecture." Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that there was a negative view on this at all. It was just, I think. Some people like a more traditional style. Sure. Um, but for the most part, I mean, everybody that was on the tour, they were just enamored at how it was built. Now, they were also, you know, a little taken aback at how low the ceilings were and stuff like that. And um, you weren't allowed to take pictures on the in- the interior pictures. And, of course, what does that mean to me? <laughs> try to, try to like see how many... Like any kid, pa- you're going to yeah, take pictures. Try to see how many interior pictures you can take. <laughs> You right. don't hear me saying that falling water people right. cuz I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't take any pictures at all, really, seriously, none. Theoretically. Uh, They'll no. be in the show notes. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually kind of wanted to take a picture of my son standing in one of the bedrooms and he was 2 inches from his head scraping across the ceiling. <laughs> and it was I was just like, dude, it's like he, sitting in a car. Like, it actually, you know, it's it because it's like, you know, that's under the beam. The way that he did those is, you know, he, there's a, a, a high spot where the bed is. Mm-hmm. And it's so amazing because, you know, there was actually one and I was standing in and I've and I think I told you guys about this um, when we were talking about the AI convention, the acoustic properties of Florida Southern College, how you could stand in one spot. And the reverberations off of the building sounded normal, average. And then you step like one step to the, you know, closer to the wall. And the acoustical properties are completely different, almost like an echo sound. And you're you're still like outdoors. And it just has these, you know, weird kind of like acoustical properties. And, And I don't know if he was very conscious of this or maybe after it was constructed. But this is like the third tour that I've been at certain spaces and I've stood in one spot and 
you can hear just normal speaking. And then you take one step to the side and it was in one of these bedrooms and it happened in, I, I, I kind of checked to see if it happened in the other bedrooms where that had the same kind of condition and it did, but you'd step like literally one step to the side, less than 12 inches from, you know, one point to another and the acoustical properties completely change and you can kind of feel this, this echo in your ears. Um, and it's, and it's kind of crazy. So I, I, I called my son, the, the, the tall boy over <laughs> and, um, had him stand there. And I was like, stand here, say something. And he said something, of course, cause he's 14 <laughs> and that's what 14 year old do something, you know? And then I was like, okay, take one step over. I was like, say something, something. Oh, that's, that's weird. <laughs> and he noticed it too. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not crazy. I actually, you know, it, I do hear this and I, I think it's kind of amazing because it almost, I mean, now I'm, every time I visit a Frank Lloyd Wright building, I'm looking for those kind of acoustical moments within the building that, you know, you just don't normally get. I mean, we you know we, we put acoustical ceiling tile in to damper any noise changes or anything like that. And I think in, in these houses that he does there, it, it's just this weird little fun dynamic that maybe was intentional. Maybe it was completely by accident, but it's there. And now it's a part of, of the building. And so, and there's even moments like that on the exterior, um, when you're, you know, in, in a couple of different spots in around the building, you know, there's all those kind of like little acoustic changes and it's, you know, and it doesn't get drowned out by the sound of the falls, it just kind of almost intensifies it. I don't know. Have you ever, um, and I don't know if, if you guys have ever done this, but you whistle and your friend whistles at the exact same time and you whistle at like the same pitch. And when it hits at that same pitch, it kind of, you hear the distortion in your ears. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Yep. So it, it's kind of like that. There's, there's just these weird little spots around these Frank Lloyd Wright buildings that the distortion hits at just the right second that it kind of, you hear the distortion and the, the echo. Um, and it's not like when you walk into an empty room and it feels echoey. It's not like that. It's just this weird little curving of your voice waves. You know, it's hard to explain, but Next time we go to a, a Frank Lloyd Wright building together, we're gonna like walk around and see if we can find Start the weird little weird little acoustical properties of his buildings, which is just it's kind of cool. And I don't even know if I I, I kind of I don't know I kind of hope that it is intentional. That's interesting, <laughs> you know. Um, it's cool that you guys got to go so close to the 150th. I mean, I was kind of reminiscing yes. when when that hit a couple weeks ago, and just thinking about back to my childhood when I used to trace Frank Lloyd Wright uh, floor plans in my on pay on like grid paper and just kind of, you know, like I said, reminiscing, going back and just thinking about even before I knew who Frank Lloyd Wright was and just being kind of enamored with the, the plans because they were unlike anything I had ever seen. I used to love to go to, you know, B Dalton bookseller in the mall at the magazine rack and find a book of house plans yeah and and look through those and and then when i had f i found some of the old usonian houses and 
prairie style. And I was just looking at these things thinking, oh my God, what are these? They are so different. And I loved them. And that, and that was just 2D. It was just a plan. There was no 3D at all. And I think, you know, the first time that I saw that iconic image of falling water that, that you took and that everybody takes when they, on the approach to the house that you talked about in the last episode, um, that is just kind of a mind blowing image. And I'm sure that that's kind of when people's jaws start to drop when they get there and, and see that. So just a real quick course correction on that one. That's actually not on the approach. Oh, okay. That, so when you walk up, you're actually kind of walking the front door. So all of the iconic images that you see of falling water of the, you know, the falls and everything else, that's actually from the area where the Kaufmans thought Frank was going to put the house Mm -hmm. so that they could look back at the falls and enjoy the falls. They didn't realize that he was actually going to put them right over top of the falls. Right, right, right. You know, and, it, it, that, yeah. and, it, and it's kind of cool because so because when you're walking up, it's it's actually you're walking up kind of like the 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 driveway essentially, and this is where you kind of get to see some some kind of cool terracing. There's a a small little footbridge that goes over the river or over the stream, and then kind of engages the 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 front door and and all of that other stuff and later on there was a an addition that was put in a like right kind of hovering above it off to the side that was a there's a small pool and small little terraces and a big master suite and that was for guests when they came over because you know it wasn't it was it was really just a family vacation home and it was the Kaufmans and their son that was it that was all they had in their family so in like their their son suite was just amazing he uh you know i think he actually when he came after the parents passed he would actually stay in the guest house rather than the the main house because there's just too many memories of of the family in the house so he he was there but not really there and you know when he moved he moved from you know the pittsburgh area where he grew up to new york and I think they said that he was working at the MoMA, but, you know, that's when he decided to go ahead and donate the house. But, you know, so you have this, this view that's completely different. And there'll be photos in the show notes um, of that. But I mean, it's, it's, that's the view that everybody gets and they're always looking for that iconic kind of mm-hmm. shot. And it's only until after you're done with the tour and you, you know, kind of start walking the grounds and you take the little footpath around and you go to the site where they, you know, wanted to have the house. That's when you look back and you see the money shot. And, you know, and that's when you just, it, as, as much as you're in awe of the house when you're in the house, it, you don't, you, you know, you're, I guess you're always like looking for, okay, well, so where's this money shot? Where's this, you know? It is incredible. I mean, you know, the, these terracing and you look over and you see the falls or you see the, you know, the little rock cliffs and you see the way that it's fully engaged into the landscape. So you see all of that, but you still are looking for that money shot. You know, where is that money shot at? Well, that's the famous shot of the rendering that he did, right? I mean, it's... Yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> so it's he's always known yeah. that that's the... Exactly. That's the exactly. View. And so, 
you know, you're, everybody's looking for that shot. And, and I don't know if, you know, they, I mean, everybody, cause there was one of the people that were on the tour that I was talking to, you know, they were like, oh, well, you know, I guess we're done now. I'm like, don't forget to go over to the, uh, the overlook and, you know, cause that's, that makes the whole trip worthwhile. Mm. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. And so as we're going over to it, you know, cause we were walking around kind of like the outside of the house and kind of just, I was checking out details and, um, and things like that. And for some reason, my son decided to drink, um, water that was like dripping off the side of the building. Don't ask. Don't know. Hey. It's 14. So anyway, so after we did that and we started walking around, they were leaving the overlook area and uh, they're like, you're right. It was totally worth it. Thank you for telling us because we were going to leave without, you know, coming over here. I'm like, Oh, thank goodness you didn't. I actually commented to my wife. I'm like, you know what? I think I want to be a docent here. Yeah. <laughs> Got to drive totally- six hours a day. No, I well, I can, I can move. Yeah, <laughs> get close. Yeah, we'll, we'll get closer. I would, just, I would so. I, I think that I would have so much fun. I mean, I've worked in some awesome museums and just kind of like watch these docents in action. And every time I talk about things like Dolly or Wright, I'm just like so filled with joy of like just talking about it and and having people like listen to it. And I was just like, I I, I kind of could. I could have real fun just doing this. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I need to go back and start teaching architectural history. Kind of yeah. love it. I, I threw a link into the show notes that you guys can check out, but it's a, it's a video that a 3d artist did years ago, but it's, it's with permission of the Frank Lloyd Wright foundation, and everything, but it's basically like a, a building up of falling water and it's really well done. So I, I threw that video in there. Everybody should check it out. Yeah, I think I've seen it, but I, yeah, it, I'm sure it it made the round big time back in the day, but it's, uh, it's, it's like a four minute long video and it's kind of like a a fly through, but as the, the house kind of gets built on top of the rocks. So it starts at the site level and, and then builds up over time. It's, it's really well done. And, I mean, for computer graphics, kind of a thing that was done probably, I don't know, 15 years ago now. I mean, it's it still holds up today. So, And it just kind of helps you understand the the site constraints and context of, of how this oh, thing was yeah. built. So I think that's really the, the neat thing. And then there's other links in there that kind of show you the, the behind the scenes of the 3D model and all the stuff that went into kind of making it. But I think it's kind of neat that he went through the, the process of, of going through the Frank Lloyd Wright foundation and getting permission and all this stuff to make something that, that is very well done. So it's worth checking well, that's out. That's cool. Yeah. So I will say this, there is one thing that was just very alarming. So their maintenance budget, give, give throw out a number. <laughs> I don't even know. I have no idea. A million dollars a year. You said 6 million, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Six, six million. Pretty sure that's what I heard you say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Six million dollars. Oh my gosh! Is there annual budget for so, maintenance? For maintenance? I'm I'm reading. I was reading through or glancing over some stuff when you were talking, and no, the house. For paying attention. I was paying attention. <laughs> Just, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hundred and fifty five thousand dollars is what that house cost in well, nineteen thirty six. So that was the total budget including the 
Um, Architect's the, fee. Like the, yeah, $8,000. $8,000. Ah, are you kidding me? He got $8,000 to design. Now, yeah. he designed more than the house, right? Did that include the furniture and well, everything else I mean, he designed? I, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Still, though, man, guy lived high on the hog. <laughs> so there is something that I read and was told during one of my architectural history courses. So in, I, I haven't been able to find anything that substantiates this, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. <laughs> tell us a story, grandpa. So f- up until this time, Frank Lloyd Wright in, in, in that this part's actually true. Because um, you can read about it, but up until up until this point, he had never built in reinforced concrete. I had read something, and I believe it was one of my uh, architectural history professors that was telling a story about, even though it was a few years after the International Modern Architecture Congress that was held by Corbu and Mies and all those other people over in Europe, and they were inviting all of these world architects to you know be a part of all of this, you know, all of these different exhibitions and things like that, and they never invited Wright, and he felt extremely slighted by it. That here's people who whether they admit it or not, or whether it's factual or not, really did benefit from taking a style or, or think about who was the only person who was really doing these kind of rectilinear buildings this early on with these big, long sweeping roofs and, and cantilevers and things like that. It was Frank Lloyd Wright. And then he had moved on and was doing other things. And so of the time, you know, in the late 20s and early 30s, they were doing styles like this. And so in the, this was the story that I was told. And again, you know, I don't know if it's fully substantiated or not, but he basically, when he got this commission, he started to basically, you know, he was still somewhat seething over the fact that, you know, he you know, had been slighted by the world architectural community, that he kind of used this as a middle finger to the rest of the world. It's like, look, I can do your style. Not only can I do your style, I can do it better than you can. And created this, like, gem. I mean, come on. It was, seriously, who's yeah. to this day, if you say, name me an architect. He's been dead for, what, six decades? However long yeah. he's been dead 1959, for? 1959, he passed away. Okay, so, yeah, six, seven decades that people still say Frank Lloyd Wright. Still to this day. Do they say Corb? Do they say Mies? We do, but nobody else does. Well, it's because right. he's an American, too, so. <laughs> yeah. It's contextual to where we are. Sure, Whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, when the uh, you know the Smithsonian says that it's on the list, as it says here, you know, it's on the list of the twenty-eight places you should visit before you die. Damn, well, it's a bucket list place for sure. It is totally a bucket list place, yeah, and cool. uh, and this is like along the lines of like the Taj Mahal, you know, and, and all of these other ones. Um, but you know, like so here, I'm going to read some Mesa Verde. You know, Pompeii, Petra, the pyramids, Machu Picchu, the Louvre. And I mean, it literally, it's like the Grand Canyon. You know, it's it, all of these places. 
falling water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you gotta, you gotta say that, holy crap, you know, I mean, just this, this one little bit of architecture here, that's just this modest little vacation home for, um, department store owner. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. It is very, it was very cool. So currently right now, since we're kind of talking the architectural adventures and everything, there currently has a 150th, you know, anniversary of his his birth and all that other stuff. And they've, I think it's called unlocking or opening up the archives or something like that. Uh, a retrospect of Frank Lloyd Wright um, going on right now at MoMA through October. And um, we just found out that it's like really cheap. It's um, 25 bucks for my wife and I to go and it's free for the kids. So we're going to take a, uh, we'll, we'll have to do a, a kind of a recap, but um, we're, we're going to get probably in the next couple of weeks. We're going to like go a buffet. Our, yeah. All you we're can eat. Kinda, and, and actually go like what Neil did and, and finally go. I've been to New York several times and have yet to even drive past the Guggenheim. So, so I've got well, to actually do so that. Cormac, while I was in New York, I actually went and saw the, the exhibit at the MoMA on Franklin Did you? Right. Yeah, we walked through it. Do you like it? Yeah. I mean, it's just a a collection of drawings and some models. And there's a I think there was a video playing, which the kids were waiting for us because they they were a little too young to be that interested in this. So we were, we didn't have time to sit and watch it, but uh, it's really interesting to see a lot of the drawings because we don't really draw anymore. Although all of us have, you know, we started that way. So it's, it's fun to see and just marvel at the penmanship and, and the drawing style and how a lot of, they had a lot of the like sketches so it's not all finished works or finished renderings or anything like that. A lot of it's just sketches and drawings and, and just really telling the story of his life through different buildings. And a lot of it were buildings that were never built, of course. So there was a lot of that in there. So, yeah, it's a really it's a fun exhibit to go through and to, and to see. Amazing how prolific he was. I mean, I think there was uh, over 500 built projects. Yeah. And then all the then, unbuilt stuff. Jeez. So there was one that, and in fact, it was supposed to actually be the original spiral building. You know, the concept for the the Guggenheim didn't start with the Guggenheim. Uh, he was actually going to do this autorama or auto something or other. Um, but it was at Sugarloaf Mountain where we go hiking all the time. The proposed an automobile objective not quite sure what that is um but oh it's a essentially a planetarium restaurant and scenic overlook is what it was supposed to be and um it was called the gordon strong automobile objective and it was the first time that he had used the um the spiral design and uh he was actually even apparently even looking at it as mooring for dredgeables Interesting. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> I mean, think did about he design how those too. <laughs> I bet the dirigibles probably. <laughs> yeah, knowing him, yeah. Maybe can you think? Can you just imagine if if like life would have been what life would have been like, or 
to just see all these like airships in the air, like mooring to different buildings and stuff like that. I know it yeah. didn't happen as often as they thought it was going to be, but the one for um, Empire State, it was too windy, you know, yeah. so they stopped doing that. But it was kind of really cool that, you know, the concept of it, you, know, you can almost see a very steampunk vision of like New York City with all these airships all over the place. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Neil at the last one. So taking all that in and then going back to the office, I mean, how, how has this affected you and in, in what you do on a day-to-day basis or how could you see it kind of playing out? Well, the, I actually much like what Neil was talking about. I've, I have a project that pedestrian bridge at the, at the campus in Pennsylvania and there's some elevation and landscape changes that need to happen in kind of more of like a landscape intervention than a real, than just like a little pedestrian bridge, you know, something that make it, makes it more, more processional. And to see the way that Frank pulled all of this stuff together and kind of had this terracing effect that engaged the landscape rather than just kind of like obliterating it. And, you know, he kind of worked with it and made everything as you were coming up to this building part of the processional to get to the building and then going in and then, you know, being able to like engage it in kind of two different ways, you know, engaging it as you're walking up and you just kind of like see it. And then the other one is like when you're in it. And, um, you know, those are the things that I've been thinking about as part of this kind of pedestrian bridge is how do you, how do you make it, kind of a different experience of seeing it, experiencing it, and then kind of like stopping on there, you know, kind of like looking at the overlook of like the different elevations of the campus, looking back at the old campus, looking forward to the new campus and all that other stuff and how you can be able to like really kind of pull all that stuff together and just kind of like a, this landscape intervention. So has it kind of uh, changed your thinking about, I mean, it sounds like it's changed your approach, but I mean, overall, with, I mean, it's, it probably is bigger than this project, I would imagine, too. That It's definitely bigger than this project. But, you know, I mean, actually, really the thing about it is is that I don't necessarily know specifically for this, but it has been giving me a, a much bigger appreciation for a guy that I spent a lot of time kind of shunning just because I was tired of having people say, oh, you're in architecture, you want to be the next Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. Like, you know what? As if. It, I mean, if I could. Sure, that would be awesome. Or if I could have a prolific career, career like him, or if I could at least have, you know, a building or two that had as much impact on um, history as his have, you know, that'd be great. Or I could at least strive to do something as good as this guy did. And that's what I do. Yeah, you know? it just seems to me like even even just looking at the photos, I mean, I haven't been there. So it's one of those projects with such an impact that it makes you want to take more risks yeah. with design yeah. and and try to do things that people have only dreamt about like like you said when you were there and there were people milling around just wanting to see it from every angle i mean how we we could only dream about having our buildings affect people and, and that's just one of the many ways that it affects people, right? So so having something that sparks people's imagination and curiosity and 
enables them and inspires them to do what they want to do inside the spaces that that the building houses would just to create that kind of affecting change would be amazing i mean and and we do it on some levels but i think when you see something like this where it's such an iconic project that like i said makes people's mouth kind of drop open it's one it there's something about it that's magic and i think that's what's so interesting about these types of projects that inspire us as architects to want to do better want to do more well i will say this that you know one more like interesting observation that i had there so walking around the site sitting around waiting for our tour to start at the visitor center and then walking around the building itself you know kind of noticed that i would say maybe 30 percent of the people there were american mm. And there were so many international people yeah. there. It's like a national visiting. Park. <laughs> from, I mean, it, it truly is. And this is like rural, rural, yeah, rural backwoods, backwoods Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to see how many people will make that trek from wherever they are to go to this place and see this building. It's just, it's so very damn cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut this one off here too because we've gone for a while but i so so the next episode i guess i'll i'll share my my plans for my epic architectural adventures this summer uh and and so you guys are gonna have to wait so another yet another cliffhanger episode two in a row keep the street going dun, dun, dun. yeah <laughs> it, it's it's the summer tradition now it, it must be <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, so hey, before we go, we'd like to thank our episode sponsors. First, we have RCAT. Check out all the features they offer at ARCAT.com. And we're also sponsored by HMC Architects. Thanks to them for their support. And to learn more or become part of their story, visit HMCArchitects.com. Remember to visit our website at ArcaSpeakPodcast.com for links to our catalog of episodes and to sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to everything we mention in the episode. And then between episodes, join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Links to everything can be found at the main site, arcaspeakpodcast.com. And thanks for listening, everyone, and stay subscribed. See ya. Bye. I join the choir to sing They're all competing for some other thing I join the choir to sing I join the choir to sing They're all competing for some other thing I join the choir to sing
Thing. 